Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. One way school districts can raise extra money for schools is through parcel taxes. Districts use this funding for all kinds of things to attract and retain highly qualified teachers, maintain low student to teacher ratios, and for enrichment classes like art, music, and technology. But only a handful of school districts in California have ever passed a parcel tax, and most are small districts in high income areas. That's because until recently, parcel taxes had to get more than two thirds of votes in order to pass, too high of a threshold for most communities. We got pretty close, 54%. We had opposition of some big real estate owners in the community. It just got a lot easier to pass parcel taxes in California. Want to know why? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Yolanda Valdez grew up in Orosi in California's Central Valley. It's a small farm working town surrounded by fields and orchards. You have oranges and lemons and peaches and nectarines. And, um, you know, you think about that this this little community is surrounded by a fruit basket, a lot of citrus, a lot of tree fruit. We have grapes. We have all sorts of different grapes. Berries are starting to come in. We have some kiwis as well, but really a lot of big farming outfits. We have Odwalla in Cutler, uh, you know, big packing house. And you probably buy Odwalla fruit in, at your grocery store because it's all throughout our nation. Yolanda grew up working in the fields like her parents did. I can't even remember when I started, but I, I remember when I started earning a full paycheck and that was at 12 years old. And at 14 years old, I forged my work permit to work at a packing house with my mother. When Yolanda was in high school, though, she had a migrant education counselor who pushed her and other farm working students to go after their dreams. By the time we finished high school, we felt like we can conquer the world. Yolanda wanted to be a teacher. She went to community college then university, and eventually got a master's degree. And then she went from teaching to become a dean of students, then assistant principal, then principal, and up and up, until Yolanda eventually returned to her hometown as superintendent of the Cutler-Arosi Joint Unified School District. So we're a community of two little cities that are joined together, and that's Cutler-Arosi, and we're about 16,000 people in this area. Cutler-Orosi is a school district of about 3,900 students. It's primarily Latino, and almost all of the students are from low-income families. Our community is, is just really hardworking farm workers is really the way I would describe it. We have about 42% of our students are English language learners. In fact, when our students begin school, we're at about 79% English language learners. And so uh, I think that kind of gives you a clue Right away, Yolanda was struck by what Cutler Arosi didn't have. Yolanda had spent much of her educational career in Dainuba, just a few miles away. That's where her kids grew up and went to school, too. And Yolanda says there were internship opportunities and sports opportunities that were just missing in Cutler Arosi. Part of it is that these communities are unincorporated. There's no city government, no mayor, no city council. They're dependent on the county for services. And it has been so difficult serving a community that is not incorporated. We don't have our own police. We don't have any community organizations. There is no, no recreational department that can organize youth sports. 
So all of that falls on the district's back, right? What I've wanted to do ever since I came back to Cutler Rossi is to provide our children with that middle class opportunity that my kids had, you know, that most families have when they live in an incorporated community. So Yolanda and others have worked hard to create those opportunities. They started internship programs, complete with vans and drivers to take kids where they need to go. They've pulled together funding to build science buildings and a sports complex with soccer, football and baseball fields, basketball courts and a splash park. Because we know that if we can keep kids busy doing wholesome things, wholesome activities, they will stay out of trouble. And in fact, I pulled data of 10 years ago. When we came in strong with our college and career uh, opportunities, when we came in strong supporting our soccer league, our youth football league, our activities, and, and we can see that the crime rate has decreased by 50%. The district's also building an aquatic complex with swimming pools so that kids can learn how to swim and a new auditorium. And they want to offer swimming and youth sports and even drama over the summers but they don't have enough money to pay for the staff to run these programs. So the goal here of Measure V was that we would have enough money to be able to fund a community center for our youth so that they can use the school facilities after hours so that we can hire a rec director, so we can hire the lifeguards in the summer. Measure V was a so-called parcel tax meaning a flat tax levied on each unit of property. If passed, the measure would have added a $48 tax to each property every year. We figured out that would be more than enough. We didn't want to overextend uh, or overask of this poor community. And we got pretty close. Close, but not close enough. 52.7% of the 438 voters who cast ballots in the district voted yes on the measure but it needed a two-thirds majority to win. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, a little-known court decision could be a big opportunity for schools. Next election, Cutler Rossi Joint Unified may have better odds at passing a parcel tax. In July of last year, three judges on the Court of Appeal in San Francisco lowered the requirement for passing a school district parcel tax from two-thirds approval to a simple majority, as long as citizens are the ones to put the initiative on the ballot. My colleague John Fensterwald wrote about this for EdSource. Hi, John. Hey, Sadie. So, John, tell me about how you first found out about this court decision. I had faintly remembered it from 2021, but actually uh, give a shout out to Carol Kosovar of Ed 100. She had it on her website, on her blog, and that jogged my memory. And so it kind of seems like nobody's talking about it. No, isn't that odd? I, I found that too. The, the California School Board Association and the Administrators Association really had not talked about it in the past year. Uh, they seem to be uh, ignoring it for whatever reasons we can explore. And how big of a deal is it? Well, I think it's a big deal because only about 60% of parcel taxes pass. About another third got over 50% and between 55 and, 
and 66%, which means that there are a lot of them out there that might have passed. But the other key is that there are a lot of districts who look at two-thirds and say that's impossible, particularly perhaps those in low-income areas, and say uh, we're not even going to try. And I think that this will make a difference in terms of those districts that put it on the ballot. And this isn't an entirely new idea, right? The legislature had been thinking about this for a long time, over over a decade, about should we lower the threshold from two-thirds to 55%. That's what it takes to pass a school bond. And so why shouldn't a parcel tax be at least, you know, be that 55%, if not lower? But even though the Democrats at various times in the past decade have had a supermajority enough to put it on the ballot, I think that uh, the leaders of a Democratic Party said, no, we're not going to risk it. There are some areas, some, this might make some Democrats in, in moderate areas uncomfortable or leave them open to a challenge. So they never went ahead and did this, even though it's been talked about. Um, I, I saw some um, data from EdSource that showed it was something like 13 percent of districts have passed parcel taxes, something very, very small, a, yes. a very small percentage. Yes, that's true. It's about 13%. Many of them are located in in coastal areas, particularly the Bay Area and around uh, wealthier districts in Los Angeles, maybe San Diego County. Uh, many of those uh, pass parcel tax and then renew them. So we're talking about only oh, 100 or so out of nearly 1,000 school districts. And what kinds of things do districts use the parcel tax money for? Yeah, it's auxiliary. And usually they do. Districts usually in order to get it passed, ask voters um, what they'd like. And often it is for arts and music and supplemental things that they want to guarantee. And parents, it's popular with parents. And uh, they want to guarantee it for a certain period of time. Most parcel taxes go for maybe seven to 10 years, and then they go back and ask them to renew it. And so the whole idea came about after the passage of Prop 13, right, in 1978? That's exactly right. It was a way to make sure that then uh, in the anti-tax fever of the time that districts don't go out and raise more taxes based on property value. And so you can go ahead and pass a parcel tax, but it has to be based on a flat fee. It can't be based on the value of a property. And so in that sense, it's regressive because wealthy landowners or homeowners with it, you know five bedrooms versus uh, a one-bedroom house, they're paying the same. In a community like Cutler-Arosi, where most residents are low-income, and among those who vote, there's a large portion of conservative voters, it's hard to pass a parcel tax. One failed four years ago. But this year, parents and school staff were excited about trying to get this one passed. We had great momentum. We went door-to-door. I personally gave up five Saturdays in a row of my life (laughs) to walk uh, for Measure V. And it was parents... You know, many of our staff members grew up here and truly are very passionate and believe in the purpose that we have, you know, that our kids should have a shot at these middle class opportunities. But the largest property owner in the district, someone who owns many apartment complexes, organized against it, Yolanda says. We had opposition of of some, um, you know, big real estate owners in the community, which was really, really unfortunate. Their poster said no more taxes. It's no on Measure V, no more taxes, and really opposing tax when all we were asking for is $48 per partial. So even though there's 
20 units in an apartment complex. You're only paying $48, right? $2 <laughs> per uh, a year per tenant. In the end, more than half of voters approved the measure. But that wasn't enough. The families that could vote and had kids voted, right? And as it is, we have low voter turnout. And so the opposition just, just really hurt us. This really seems like a question of equity, John. I mean, it seems like parcel taxes are mostly only really able to be passed, mostly, in uh, high-income communities. And it seems like that would grow the gap between what kinds of you know, opportunities, basically, and what kinds of education is offered in the different school districts. It certainly can. It does accentuate the, uh, the gaps. But on the other hand, these wealthier districts don't have local control funding formula, which provides additional money for low-income kids, uh, low-income communities with uh, families that are, that are low-income and English learners. So nonetheless, it's been discussed as a possible compromise in the legislature that maybe you would have a parcel tax with additional money that the state would give to, as an incentive for low-income districts. If you do 100, we'll double it. We'll give you another 100 or something like that. But that hasn't gone through hasn't passed, hasn't given, been given serious consideration, but it's, a, it's an idea, a good idea. So, I mean, do you think that now that this court decision came down, do you think that people in, new, you know, in other school districts will suddenly be able to pass parcel taxes? I think they will. The question is, what is a citizen initiated versus a school district? Uh, initiated parcel tax, does that mean you really have to sit as they have to get together and raise the money and do all this versus it's easier for a district to put it on the ballot? And in the court case that changed the parcel tax threshold, the plaintiffs argued that the teachers union was actually using the citizens as a front, right? That's right. That was one of the arguments that they used. And they said, hey, look, Prop 13 said you had to be passed by two thirds. And, and so now you're getting around it. You're colluding with these people who would have done it on their own, only now you're saying it's you, but it's, it's really not. In response to that, the three judges on the appeals court, I found it interesting that they actually said, we find nothing inherently sinister about the fact that the district and the union supported this proposition. No law precludes a governmental entity from publicly expressing an opinion with regard to the merits of a proposed ballot measure. I think that's a good hint to people who are going to go this route, that they have a lot of latitude in, in what they propose and who they work with to get it on the ballot. You know, I'm John Fenstrewald, verify that I want this parcel tax and I have a couple other people and we're going out and, and getting signatures. But what the court said was, John Fenstrewald doesn't have to pay for the whole campaign. The law doesn't say who has to pay for the campaign. So I could turn to my teachers association and say, hey, I've got a good idea. We think that we want uh, to have after school activities or summer activities. Will you go in and help us organize? And hey, if you guys want to donate some money, that would be great too. I could go to a school board member as an individual and say, can we use your name to say, I you know, think it's a good idea and I think others should vote for it. But then the plaintiffs appealed to the California Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court chose not to take on the case. And that makes it seem like they agree that a parcel tax could pass with a simple majority. But if citizens and other school districts try this, John, could they still be taken to court? It's quite possible that if a court of appeal in another part of a state rules differently 
and they say, no, you can't do a majority. We think it, uh, it Prop 13 was really clear. Then it would force the Supreme Court to take up the case. So we'll, we'll know more. And that uncertainty may be reason, a reason why it hasn't got any traction yet. But uh, as a non-lawyer, <laughs> I can give free advice. I would say, go ahead and do it. But on the other hand, you may want to put it in escrow because it may be appealed. And if it's not appealed, then spend it. If it is appealed, just keep it in escrow. And if you win, then retroactively, you can, uh, you can use the money. Yolanda Valdez says now that she knows about this court decision, she thinks maybe parents and other community members in Cutler Rossi could try a third time to pass a parcel tax. I am so excited about that. If we went on the presidential election, you know, in just a couple more years and 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 put another initiative on the ballot, I with those rules, I believe that we can be victorious. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools a production of EdSource. You can find John's story at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Yolanda Valdez and John Fensterwald. Our CEO is Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the James B. McClatchy Foundation. I'm Zadie Stabley. Join me next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.